forward your computer and it's recording. All right. I'm just going to kind of sit off to the side here. So it'll just be the two of you. <clears throat> Every now and then, I guess I can go. Yeah, you got a, you got a video moment. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to announce you as part of the the uh, our amazing announcer, Bad Brad Newfeld. Oh, thank you. Now making his way to the arena for Parts Unknown. <laughs> uh, I have to have that light up there, so otherwise I'm dark here. <laughs> we'll just get you a halo that lights up, and you'll be all good. <laughs> all right. Okay, we're ready to we're ready to record. So, okay, and I've got uh, I've got a break in here at the same spot mm -hmm. where we had one for Sal. So I wrote break, and then I put um, maybe I missed one. Yeah, do you want me to? Do you want to keep track of it? Or do you want me to give you the well the hand signs or give me the hand sign? But I do have I do have breaks in here, so. Um, after I ask him, uh, you know, about his journey, mm -hmm. the defining moment, and then his key to confidence, that's where I've got the break put in. That's where Sal was. Okay. Um, and that seemed to work out. You said we were about right on yeah, right time. On. Mm -hmm. um, make sure I don't say, you know, and thanks, Sal. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is Sal Rosado coming to you live from the Kings Hall. <laughs> I was going to put in there, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, so. <laughs> coming to you live at 3 a.m. <laughs> Did you ever watch uh, uh, WKRP and oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Venus Flytrap? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Jimmy Carter, he wants to do our overnight thing. He wants to do an alien type thing and, you know, for overnight. Jimmy Carter, the president? No, Jimmy Carter, that's here in the tribe. I was like, President Carter's going to no, be no, no, sweet. No, no. No. Sign us up. <laughs> no, Jim Carter, he's, he, uh, he likes that kind of radio and they're putting together a show right now. It's going to be kind of funny and out there a little bit. So we'll, nice. see, we'll see how it goes. Nice. But they're going to be our Art Bell overnight kind of a thing. So <laughs> cool. Okay, we are ready. So just say when. You just point to me like you did. Well, okay. So here we go. Three. All right. Welcome to another edition of Operation Limitless. I am Brett Lechtenberg. This is the show where we focus on how average people ended up achieving incredible triumphs through confidence, grit, determination, and creativity. The goal is to take the commonalities of these incredible people and build a model by which other people can use and help create a limitless life for themselves. And today on the King's Information Network, I am extremely honored to talk with one of my favorite people, uh, somebody that has accomplished amazing things, and I'm proud to call a good friend, Mr. Bill Schiffenauer, three-time Olympian, Olympic silver medalist, world champion, and a whole bunch of other stuff he's going to talk about. <laughs> and uh, Bill, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Brett. I really appreciate being here. And uh, as uh, Brett says, we are uh, actually two really good friends. And, uh, 
you know, work together on a regular basis day to day. And it's a pleasure to actually be here and be a part of this as well. So, yeah. And Bill, I'm looking really looking forward to hearing, having you tell people about the podium method, right? Your, your new platform for the way you're helping a lot of people and your speaking career Olympian speaks. So really looking forward to that. And before I forget, uh, I want to also say we've got in the studio with us today, the our producer extraordinaire, Brad, Newfeld, or as I like to call him, Bad Brad. Uh, he's with us today, so thank you, Brad, for being here, and feel free to chime in where you see necessary. <laughs> okay. So, Bill, um, you've got an incredible story. You went from extreme adversity, overcame a lot of challenges, um, had a had your eye on the Olympics, had that kind of stripped away, did it in a whole different fashion than I think anybody knows about and then went on to Olympic glory. So uh, I'm just going to ask you to kind of recount your journey and uh, because I, I think what you have to share with people is absolutely amazing and you're the absolute epitomately epitomate. Wow. Can't speak. You're really good at <laughs> being limitless. So can you tell us, tell our viewers who, uh, about your journey? Please. Yeah, thanks, Brad. I really appreciate the, the kind words, and uh, it's it's pretty amazing. Every day I get to wake up and say, "Whose idea was this?" Way back when, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, it all comes down to um, it was my idea. Uh, you know, growing up in that atmosphere of uh, homelessness and drug addicted parents and bouncing back and forth to foster homes, and basically was never it was just that kid that no one ever gave a chance to. I was a kid that you didn't let your kids hang out with when I was young. And you were that guy. I was that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, just reflecting on, on bouncing back and forth through all this chaos in my life as a child and, and never having that expectation of everyone thinking I'd ever accomplish anything. I just knew um, for whatever reason, I, I believed in myself that there was something bigger and better out there for me. And so I started kind of on a search on, trying to figure out what it is that I could do that I was good at. And, you know, at the time, obviously, you know, running with gangs and drugs and burning on the streets and, you know, running from cops and jumping <laughs> fences and stuff. Um, Tell everybody, how many, how many foster homes were you in? 17 different foster homes. That's amazing. Over what period of time? Um, all the way up until, uh, I'd say the last one was around fifth grade. Hmm. Um, so, you know, a short period of time for a kid, you know, by the time they're in fifth grade, being in 17 different foster homes, that's a significant amount of yeah. just bouncing around. It's a significant amount of times for a person in their whole life to even move, yeah. let alone <laughs> a kid up to fifth grade. So yeah. that's yeah. amazing. So, um, you know, at a young age, about seventh grade, I moved from uh, Salt Lake City. Uh, one of the times I was bouncing around, I had an opportunity to either go to another foster home or go live with my grandma Sadie up in rural Utah and uh, we figured that the best idea would be to go live with my grandma again and so we made that move up there and uh, just was in a place where I just didn't fit in at all you know I remember walking in my first day of junior high school as, as I say you know walk in walk, walk <laughs> rock and rough and tough with my afro puff and my dirty clothes <laughs> and I just wore on a regular basis and so I just really didn't fit in and that's one of the things I just really wanted to just really fit in situation so you know being a seventh grader you're typically filled with ideas of like going out and playing hanging with your friends and different things like that and, and mm -hmm. my whole world was consumed on me being able to change my stars and, and doing something different than anyone else out there was doing or doing something different that wasn't expected of me sure as a kid and it's a pretty mature thought for a seventh grader considering where you had been yeah it, it is and i you know even today i reflect back on 
know, as you know, I've got a 13 year old son who's about that same age, you know, <laughs> his thoughts are playing sports and having fun and video games and LeBron James. And stuff like that. <laughs> right. so, um, it's, it's interesting as I reflect back and it's, you know, I, I feel like it's a really good thing for me to have that opportunity to reflect back and just really appreciate the things that uh, uh, took place back then for me to uh, get out of that situation and be where I am today. But um, I think one of the things that really helped me and you and I are big, big advocates of this, of having some type of mentor or coach in your life. And back then I had no idea what that was. But um, I took notice of a, uh, a kid named Jake Schultz, who was really the kid that everyone in school liked, you know, played football, basketball, ran track and field. He was on the student body, and he was just that kid that just walked around with that glow about him. And sure. When I look at him, I was like, that's what I want. That's the feeling I want. When, when people look at me, they just like they're excited. They're happy to see him. Sure. And that's was one of the things that first inspired me to say, okay, what can I do to get a taste of that? And mm hmm so uh, one day I happened to just follow him out after school and was watching him um, with a bunch of other kids and they're, you know, jumping over things and handing off these baton things to each other and we're running around in circles on this thing that we later come to find out is called a track. And, uh, <laughs> I was like, wow, that looks like, you know, I'm, you know, like I mentioned earlier, used to running from cops and jumping fences. This might be right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> sure, you you got the acquired skill set there. So it was um, that was also like my first opportunity in life where I took a negative situation of how I was growing up and, and try to figure out you know how to how do I turn the situation into a positive. Sure. And as you know, we've talked about a lot of times. That's kind of part of my motto is you know anytime that uh, something negative happens in life, instead of looking at it as a negative situation, why don't we try to look at it as what what can we actually learn and grow from? And right. Turn into something positive. So, um, so I kind of pursued that, and obviously, um, at the time I had a you know all Fs and a D minus, so my grades weren't even good enough to you know make the track team. I got kicked off my first year for mouthing off to the track coach. Tried out for baseball, got kicked off the team for the same thing, and uh, had to gather myself and try and figure out okay, what is it you're really trying to accomplish? What was your actual true intention from the get go? And so I had to basically take a step back and reassess what I was going to do and it was a, obviously a learning lesson because I didn't have a ton of guidance. Sure that was going to be a question was was there anybody who jumped in at that point I mean gra you were with grandma yeah did, did she recognize those things and say like hey boy get it together or did she even see all that? She did um, you know thankfully I had a lot of family that <laughs> beyond belief was was putting up with a lot of crap for me I mean I was just a kid that was you know your worst nightmare mouthed off was always a troublemaker again was just in that world of drinking at a young age and doing drugs and not not going to school and stuff like that. So she was always there trying to do what she could as long as as well as like my family members. And then um, going into um, eighth grade is when I started to make some of those changes and, mm -hmm. and realizing um, you know it's not just about me. Even though you know that's kind of what I did have to focus on was because I had to change me sure. before I knew that could change. Um, and then also had a, a family that came along that I ended up befriending uh, the Hendersons, which is a military family that uh, I got involved with. And, and the later, you know, long story short, we ended up uh, having an adoption situation. And that was like my first real opportunity of solid structure in mm -hmm. the family environment. What grade was that? This is going from eighth to ninth. Grade. Okay. And, you know, thankfully, um, as we started putting all these things together, I started getting you know, some results here and there and started taking notice of some of the small things. And, um, again, back then, it was just all about, you know, having 
other kids' life and <laughs> being a different environment. Never really thought about uh, some of the things that we're on the scale of doing now um, and just having fun. And sure. So made my first track team and just naturally uh, was really good at it uh, for many reasons. And, and ninth grade. Ninth grade. Ninth grade, okay. Um, was my first year making a track team. And, uh, started getting the attention because I was doing well at track meets and was just really excited about it. Started getting just a taste of what I was thinking you know, that the Jake Schultz was like, sure. I give it off. And I was like, you know, this is a really good feeling. Sure. I really absolutely. Enjoy this. And, um, once I got a taste of that um, enjoyment and that different world, that satisfaction, that, um, that belongingness, if you will, sure. uh, I just pretty much ran with it. And I was doing all sorts of events. I, you know, a lot of kids go in and they just want to run the hundred or they just want to do the shot put. I was a kid who was like, I want to try everything. So I was doing the hundred long jump shot put, four by one, four by four, hurdles, discus, and pole vault, and all these different things. And so um, when I got up into high school, uh, the track coaches kind of took notice of me. Uh, never Peterman and Mike Hine up at Roy High. And they said, hey, we, you know, we get watching you in high school and you're doing all these events. And not only are you doing all these events, you're actually good at all of them. Sure. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's just a lot of fun, right? <laughs> Became your new drug of choice. Yeah, it was definitely my new drug of choice. And uh, they said, hey, well, we really want to consider you to do this event called the Decathlon. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, you know, I was all excited. And I was like, well, tell me what, it, you know, what is the Decathlon? They're like, all right, well, you know, you're basically the first guy on the track, the last one to leave. It's the 100 long jump, shot put, disc, you know, pole vault, you know, 10 different events, all these different events. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, that just sounds like way, way too much. <laughs> that's a, that's yeah, a bit of work. <laughs> I don't want to do all that stuff. And, you know, remind you, I was in a place where I wanted to change my stars and really make a difference and mm -hmm. start my path in, in changing um, that, that trajectory of what was expected of me. And not sure. following the footsteps of my mom and so on and so on. And, and um, so at first I was like, yeah, I don't know if that's a, you know, I don't know if that's my, my jam, if you will. And, you know, and they said one thing that really sold me on it. And they said the decathlete was considered the best athlete in the world. Sold. That's all I needed. Mm -hmm. And I was just, you know, that one thing is like, you know, how do I get to be the very best at whatever it is that I'm doing? And, and again, it, it never really was about athletics as, as much as it was about like just changing my stars and not following the footsteps. And, you know, I had family members that thought that I didn't be dead or in prison by the time I was 16. And I just didn't want to follow that same path. And I, Sure. I knew that I was going to go up one day and have a family of my own, and I just wanted to be a better role model for my kids and other people around me. And so, you know, when they said that uh, you could potentially have that opportunity to be one of the very best in the world, um, that's all it took. So, that's a pretty progressive thought for a yeah. ninth, tenth grader. Yeah. Had you ever heard of even like Bruce Jenner or anything, seen the Wheaties box, any of that at that point? I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> so okay, fair enough. Um, but you know, back then it was still just the overall enjoyment of being part of something and enjoyment of sport. And I think that really comes to play um, later on in several things in life because you know, so many people out there get into a position, whether it's a personal life, business, or whatever, and they start getting frustrated and forget why is it that we're there? Why is it that we were driven? And you have to reflect back on this. You're doing it, but originally at some point in time because you had passion for it and you loved it and you really enjoyed it. So I just like to make sure that, uh, you know, I, I, I talk about that because that's originally where it started off was the enjoyment and the passion. Mm -hmm. and, you know, at that point in time, uh, just worked with some great coaches and um, that were really patient with me and um, started kind of attaching myself to these types of 
individuals that were at, at, just at a different level. Mm -hmm. um, and sure. They knew things that I'd never experienced at that point in time. And I just found that really attractive. And um, I was, again, started doing really well, started getting national recognition and international recognition and, uh, you know, winning state championships and winning national championships. And so by the time I uh, reached my senior year of uh, high school, I was ranked number one in the world for kids 19 years and under and had won, you know, a, a plethora of state championships and national championships and was just like on cloud nine. Sure. Um, you know, but at the whole time, really reflecting on that journey that got me to that point, recognizing that the small steps that uh, really were crucial in me being able to get to that spot. So, um, you know, a lot of people don't, I'm not going to college. Oh, really? <laughs> I was, it is what it is. I was like, oh, I just want to get a job and work at McDonald's and start making some money and get a car. And, and, and that's what I thought the path was, right? And mm -hmm. uh, when my coaches asked me, like, well, what do you think about going to college? And I was like, why would I want to go to college? And, you know, again, they reminded me of, you know, continuing to be this track and field athlete and, and follow my, my, that, my path and change my stars. And that if I really wanted to go to college, based off of my athletic ability and my, my um, you know, my grades and stuff, that I could go to any college I wanted to and they'd actually pay for it. And so that caught my interest. Um, free college, yeah, why not? <laughs> not free school, just take advantage of that. So, um, you know, eventually uh, I had offers from every university in the United States all the way from you know, local schools here to UCLA to Ivy League schools in Brown. And uh, my high school coach at the time and Weber State University's coach here in Utah happened to be good friends. And mm -hmm. we just made a decision for me to stay home and, and go represent Weber State and uh, had a pretty decent career up there as well. So Nice. So a couple things. I uh, I think that people would enjoy hearing the fact that a little bit more, you don't have to go into a lot of detail, how rough were things at times? You, you, you kind of glossed over the story of living on the streets and other things. Uh, give people a couple of examples because there's a, uh, here, lots of people know you. Yeah. Hopefully internationally, I mean, people have seen you, yeah. but they don't all know your story. Give, give our listeners a, a couple little things like, uh, yeah. um, you know, how you used to get your food and yeah. a couple of those things. <laughs> I got my food like everyone else. I went to McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> Tell everybody what that really meant for you. So um, what that really meant, um, you know, of course I was uh, with a family that was on the system and, uh, uh, you know, received food stamps on a regular basis. But because of my mom's addiction and my stepdad's addiction, uh, both to drugs and alcohol, they would actually take those food stamps back then when they were paperwork and sell them for cash so they could buy drugs and alcohol. And so, um, majority of the time, you know, if we weren't getting like government cheese and rice from the state, uh, my mom would send me up to McDonald's to, to go, as we call it nowadays, dumpster diving for the food that was left over and tossed away. And so I dropped majority of my food when I was there with my mom, um, eating out of garbage cans on a regular basis, um, going down on the streets and panhandling for money. Back then when breakdancing wasn't a cool thing, I would breakdance <laughs> for money and, um, I just want to go on record right here that I still haven't seen you break dance. So I'm willing to put up some dollars to, to see that. Oh, boy. Part about that. Go, Bill, go. Go, Bill, go. <laughs> USA, USA uh, you know, if I try to break dance right now, something is definitely going to break. Break a hip. So <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, you know, 
my, my life on a regular basis with was just consumed with chaos all the way from you know my mom and my stepdad um, you know shooting up with their friends at the house to you know my mom used to pull tricks for those that don't know what that means that she'd prostitute and we'd have people to come back to our house and um, she'd rip them off and you know there was one time where I was with my friends at the house by myself about two o'clock in the morning and I hear a noise across the street and look out the window and there's this guy carrying a hand cannon coming straight towards our house and I knew exactly what was going on. And mm-hmm. The only thing I could say to my friends is like, just get up and run. And, you know, got up and ran until we couldn't run anymore and thankfully we escaped that. Um, and, uh, you know, that was just a typical day. You know, I was used to having people over at the house all the time, drinking and doing drugs and you know, watching them shoot up and pass out, and I would just go off and do whatever it is that I wanted to do. And uh, from from the very youngest age that I can remember, I you know, because I remember we used to get my little brother, we you know back then smoke weed and got my little brother high, and that was something that we did when I was a little kid, and um, you know that was just normal for us. And uh, you know that chaos, the chaotic life, um, again, that was just a regular day to day thing that for sure. me was normal. Right, right? and. Uh, you know, now looking back, it's like I can say, wow, that was definitely not normal. At all. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the times the way I ended up in a foster home is that my mom and my stepdad would take off and they go hang out with their friends to do drugs at someone else's house. And they can't leave me and my brother at home for days on end. And, you know, a neighbor would take notice that there's these little you know, kids under the age of fifth grade at home by themselves with mm-hmm. no way to feed themselves. And, you know, call the state and the state would come by and do a check and like, oh wow, where's your parents? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it was normal for us. So we were, right. you know, we were normal different. So uh, you know, going back to it, that's that was just a, a regular thing of life for me. Um, you know, definitely not this the way you want to raise a child at all. Um, you know, while other kids are out there playing and enjoying sports or, you know, in school and stuff, um, without knowing it, we were just surviving. Right. Um, and so um, hopefully that touches a little bit more upon how that worked out. And- yeah, I, I think it's just, it's so important. I, I mean, I don't want to dredge up bad memories, obviously, but we we have talked about this. And I just think that if for for what you became, what you accomplished, the insight, just those little insights, I think make it a lot more real for people. So I appreciate your willingness to share that. Um, because it's just amazing. And it, and it continues to be amazing moving forward. Uh, before we take a break I, and, we, and we get into the actual Olympics and, and some of the things you accomplished there, tell everybody about your first Olympic dream, how that got cut short and the transition. Because to me, you know, people talk about your silver medals and so, and I, they're, it's an amazing accomplishment, but to go from the uh, decathlon to the bobsled, there's, there's some magic there that I, that, obviously nobody before or after has ever done that I'm aware of. Uh, and I think that's part of the, it's such a huge part of your story. Uh, and it's why I look up to you so much is, is, is because of that, because of what that took. So would you share that before yeah. we take a break? Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, as we were talking about, obviously got involved in track and field and sport and decathlon and, and did really, really well at it from, from almost day one, uh, you know, national recognition, uh, ranked number one for junior years, 19 and under, you know, go up to college at Weber State and have a pretty good career. So at that point in time, the goal obviously was to, you know, train towards the Olympics. It's like, okay, you know, with your age and your ability, what would be the best Olympics for you to, to shoot for? And, you know, we came to the conclusion it would be the 2000 Sydney Olympics. And so we started really making a push for it. And, 
making sure that everything was on point, nutrition, training, mental training, um, you know, creating the environment of, of just health um, mm -hmm. and, and positivity and stuff like that. And that year was the very best year, hands down, that I was having overall. I mean, everything that I manifested as far as, you know, athletic-wise was just working out really well, breaking records, happened to be like the 49th American to ever break 8,000 points in the decathlon, uh, qualified for Olympic trials, was ranked number five in the world, getting ready for Olympic trials. And so everyone and their dog and everyone in between was like, this is going to be the year. It's going to go to the Olympics. And everyone was excited, especially so many people after hearing the story. Mm -hmm. And um, go down to BYU just to do a warm-up meet. And no no expectations. Uh, just kind of do a warm-up meet about two weeks before Olympic trials. End up blowing my ankle out on the long jump board. And... It was when it, when it happened, it was one of those instantaneous things like, no way, this is not happening. Because that year had been going so well that there's just like, no way that this is actually going to, you know, take me out of it. And so we had kind of that shock value. We weren't sure what to do, even though we didn't have to keep going. Mm. We kind of like went into the, the panic mode and like, oh my gosh, like competition, like just keep going. And so... You know, we, we uh, numbed up my ankle, pretty much put a cast on it and tried to continue with the rest of the competition. And, and of course, after the long jump, we had the shot put and the high jump. And by the time we got to the high jump, we just realized there's no way because I couldn't even open up at the lowest height I've ever tried, which is, you know, five, six or something like that. And I used to open up at like six, two. And so when I blew through all three of my attempts, um, I knew it was over with. And um, at that point in time, I gave up on myself and mm -hmm. was, was just devastated that the dream and the goal of changing my stars was gone. Basically told my coach that I was done, picked up my stuff, put my tail between my legs and went home and um, just fell into a pretty bad depression for a little bit. And at some point in time, uh, all the stars aligned and somebody said, hey, how cool would that be if you went to the Olympics in Salt Lake City? Like, what are you talking about? Olympics are in Sydney, Australia. They're like, no, the Winter Olympics. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I had no idea that there was anything um, like the Winter Olympics. And, you know, my thought was, I, you know, Winter Olympics, I've never skied before. I don't ice skate. Couldn't imagine myself doing men's pairs figure skating. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, and of course, they introduced me to the sport via the movie Cool Runnings. <laughs> of course, because yeah, of course. that is the epitome of bobsled training. And so I thought I was going to hang out with some Jamaicans on the beach and <laughs> have a good time. And, and then I had an opportunity to watch the U.S. team on the Olympic field uh, competing in St. Louis, which is one of the most amazing tracks in the world. And, you know, we, we started thinking, like, how amazing would that be if you could actually take your story of a kid who grew up homeless on the streets of Salt Lake City and made it to the Olympics in Salt Lake City? And we were like, you couldn't even write a story like that. And if you could, how amazing would that be? It would just be absolutely amazing, right? Mm -hmm. And so... You know, as you know, Brett, basically, you know, I just tell people, like, try and really, I, I really am big into simplifying things, as you know, and so I just took everything that I had for uh, track and field, pulled it out of that bucket and dumped it into a bobsled bucket, and, you know, we only had, I guess, part of the, the important part is we only had a year and three months to actually Right, this off. 15 months for a total transition, this is amazing. Yeah, sport I've never done, didn't even know what it looked like, you know, besides the videos of cool runnings. <laughs> did and, you have dreadlocks by no, the way did thought, you did you fix it get me a jamaican accent man <laughs> um and uh but again we were just like you know what the goal and the dream was to change your stars and become a, you know, it didn't matter what 
us what it was in, um, it didn't matter who you were doing it with. And you know what, let's just go for it. We've got absolutely nothing to lose and let's just see what happens. And if mm -hmm. we could write that story, even if you had the opportunity to train for the Olympics in four years of sport, that would be really cool. Mm -hmm. And so we just went for it 110%, didn't let anything hold us back, uh, didn't look back and you know, have any like, uh, should we do this? Never was no shit or coulda what is it? it was hundred percent we're gonna do it. Our intention hundred percent was we're gonna do this. And so I just put everything I had, like I said, into it. And fifteen months later, I find myself at the uh, Olympics here in Salt Lake City, winning the first Olympic medal for the U.S. in forty-six years. And so, that, and that is absolutely amazing. Uh, I want I have two quick questions before we break. First one, you reference we. We talked about, we did, we did that. Was this your track coaches from college? Was this the Olympic committee? Who who was part of we? Who was the group? Yeah, so part of that uh, group was like my family. Um, okay. At the time, I was, I was married, so you know, I had to check in with my wife at the time and say, hey, we've got this really crazy idea. What do you think about it? <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, and of course, my track coaches, right? Because they played an important role in my life. And uh, utilizing them as mentors and stuff as well. So they were a huge part of that uh, overall decision because, you know, mind you, I was still coming out of the depression, mm -hmm. of, you know, failing, failing to make the 2000 Sydney team. And so it, it took a, a, a tribe, if you will, I like to mm -hmm. say that, a tribe sure. um, to really create this opportunity and create this idea and create the belief that we could actually pull this off. So Right. Okay. And then... Last question before the break here. What do you think is the key to your confidence? What gave you the confidence to be able to move from one sport to the other? Was it the tribe? Was it the fact you'd overcome so much? Was it a combination? What do you think is the key to your confidence to do that and the key to your confidence now? If you could narrow it, narrow it down. Yeah, um, I, I would say it's a combination of all those things we talked about. Um, having the opportunity, and I love to say that, having the opportunity to face a lot of the adversity I've had an opportunity to experience in my life and look at those as learning lessons rather than failures in life. Mm -hmm. I happened to, happen to be watching Star Wars, uh, Return of the Jedi the other day, and Yoda's talking about like, you know, failure is the key to mastery. Mm -hmm. um, and every time I hear mastery, I always think about it. <laughs> so, um, you know, my failures became um, keys to me being able to overcome um, any adversity, giving me the confidence and courage to take that next step to move forward as opposed to letting it like hold me down. And, you know, always having that, that, uh, well, I guess not, not always having, always, always having people never really expecting me to do anything mm -hmm. and always just believing in myself that it doesn't matter what it is. I feel like I could go out there and do it, you know, surrounding myself with the right tribe. Um, I can accomplish anything I want. So I continue to do that now. And as you know, you know, several, several months ago, I made a huge change in my life and mm -hmm. we'll talk about that later on, but um, just surrounding myself with some of the most influential positive people that I could ever find in my life. And it's really helped me to uh, accomplish some of the things that we're doing right now. That's awesome. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break and we'll be back in a few moments. Uh, but we're here with Bill Schiffenauer, creator of the podium method, three-time Olympian, Olympian silver medal, and, uh, now motivational speaker and a trainer of a lot of different people, a lot of different groups. So we'll take a break and we'll be back with Bill Schiffenauer and of course, Bad Brad Newfeld. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> there have been too much in there to edit, do you think? No, none. <laughs> I just had some background noise that I'm just going to check on. Sometimes it shows up, sometimes it doesn't, but I can, uh -oh. I can take it out. And so, 
anyway, no, I, what I'm thinking of doing is I'll keep this rolling here and then I'm going to have it timed to where I'm going to be running some commercials during this, even for the YouTube video, if that's all right. Yep. And then it'll look like we're just having a discussion Then it'll be, all right, we're back from break. And then it'll be like, sure. It'll be like the real thing. Yeah. <laughs> so sweet. Anything. Okay. That... We're at, well, uh, sorry, we're at 28 minutes. So, um, were we a little past where we should, there's no, okay. We just want to, um, to get the commercials in there and stuff, I mean, your maximum would be then, because uh, five, there's five minutes of commercial during the hour, but the, the rest, uh, if we don't quite get a 55-minute show, then I just play music till the end of the hour. But, um, so, I mean, we've, we've got, what, another 30, uh, 20, why can't I add today? Uh, about 25 minutes, 26 minutes more we could do. So. Okay. Dang it! I. That's right. That's well, let me. Got a shirt. <laughs> no, let me go grab some. Because I keep somebody else asked me last time too. I'm like, I gotta get some. Oh, Bubba! I woke up this morning to a text from the U.S. Bank saying, "Hey, do you did you uh, did you try and access your account?" Three in the morning? No. So I call him up and it's like, uh, this is not me. Which led to a chain reaction of somebody, some cryptocurrency thing trying to screw really? my account. Yeah. No, I hate that. Oh, huge problem. Yeah. These people that do that, if they just take their, their brilliance and do something good with right? it. <laughs> it takes so much more effort to do something like that. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. Interesting. I was actually thinking about that on the way on the way here. I was merging something really simple. I was merging on the highway, like a, a real natural merge where all the other cars merge onto the highway. And this guy decides to speed up and causes kind of this little bit of chaos for like four other cars. Now, he had to make that effort to do that. Now, if we just would have let off the brake, <coughs> we all would have transitioned perfectly on the highway. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I'm ready when you are, so. Okay. But no, you guys are doing great. You were going to ask me another question. But no, you're. you're doing is there anything great. that you wanted to, you think we should ask? I mean, I don't know how much of Bill's story you know, and I'm going to. You're an inspiration, oh. Bill. That's all I got to say. Thank you. I mean, I, 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 I love when people share their stories. It's, a, it's an honor to be in this position and have an opportunity to share this. It's awesome. You're going to help a lot of people. Well, you already have, and I'm sure you're. I, I, you know what? Maybe Brad, you know, yeah. Bill's got such an amazing story. He's done some amazing things, right? And he's he really is a, a such a sincere, caring person. Mm -hmm. And I don't know any other way to say this. When he got out of the Olympics, it, it's like he, he he put his faith in people that should have really helped him spread this message, and nobody did a thing. They didn't do it. They didn't do enough. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure that before. We all get too old and can't do anything. <laughs> this kind of message gets out, and and that, you know, people know that, that right here in their own town of Salt Lake, there's a guy like this mm -hmm. that has overcome so much. I mean, he's, he can be an inspiration to the world, right? Right. And I, so if there's something that you don't think I'm asking, or a way we could present him in a slightly different light, or whatever, I want to do. I don't want to gush all over here and make no. you embarrassed, but <laughs> mm -hmm. I just think it's sad that something someone like this didn't get the props that he should have got because 
nobody in the world in history that I know of has done some of the things he's done. Yeah. Well, uh, and I'm an open book, so if you if you have to okay. chime in, yeah, because what I don't uh, hold anything back. So. If you could ask something like this, Brad, because this is this is uh, something that is intriguing to me when you because you've told your story and people are that inspires people but for somebody like me it's was there what was your real thought process were there times where you're just like i'm done i'm done and what did you do in your mind to go being done is not an option <laughs> you know yeah. what was that fight yeah that that's, you went a, through? that's a great question to ask because there's been several times in my life and my career where I've gotten to that point where I'm just like, I, I checked out. Um, and I think what I've learned over the years is the best way to come back or respond to that is just that respond and not react. Right? Gotcha. So, so realizing that, you know, when something negative happens and you're just like, I'm done is making sure you take that time out. And so instead of reacting and just saying, I'm done and like changing everything, because so many people do that though, right? They yeah, and if you could describe that, what did you do? Did you just go to the park and watch birds? Did you, yeah. I mean, what, you see what I mean? Because yeah. people don't have those, I hate the word cope, by the way. I like conquer instead of cope. Yeah. But anyway, but what would, you know, what is something that you did to kind of go, all right, killing myself or giving up is not an option. I went and did this instead. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you could touch on something like uh, that. That'll be our first question. Okay. Okay. So. Okay. Okay. Are we ready? Yeah. All right. As ready as we're going to get, making this up as we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of, of this kind of stuff. I love it. Okay, here we go. Three. All right, and we're back here with Bill Schiffenauer, creator of the Podium Method, three-time Olympian, uh, public speaker, you name it, this guy is doing it. And Bill, uh, good, again, great to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Can't, can't say thank you enough. I know your time is valuable. Um, I've got a, a great question, and our producer actually kind of is prompting this one, Brad, so thank you. Um, you've mentioned a lot of tough times that you went through in your life. There were definitely times where you could have just said, screw it, I'm out, right? And of course, you know, you talked about you had some short short times where that, that happened, but nothing long-term, right? You, you, you've never given up. Um, what, tell the viewers, viewers, listeners, uh, what was the mental process? What, how did you fight back? What was going through your mind? And that's the part about Operation Limitless that we're really trying to get across is everybody's got something that they can do, but so many people don't do it. So if you can put it into words, best you can, what's the process you go through when times are tough, the chips are down, everything's going against you, which you definitely had, right? What's the process that you go through to bring yourself back? Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of processes there. And, you know, one of the quotes that I came up with, but, you know, is that, you know, dreams are only dreams until we take the actions to ignite them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in situations where I felt really down or I felt checked out or I felt like the, the, the hope was all was gone, um, typically as human beings, we tend to get over emotional and react to situations. And I like to, you know, I want to point that out is that we react to those situations instead of mm -hmm. taking time to respond. So giving yourself time to, you know, take a couple steps back, 
you know, allow those emotions to go ahead and take their place and, and don't react in that situation because, you know, you get people, you know, sometimes you make a lot of really poor decisions when you react to stuff as opposed to responding. And so over the years, I just learned that this was a tool for me that really worked very well. And it's not to say that I did it every single time. There were times that I reacted, but I was like, oh man, the outcome of that reaction was not very good. You were self-aware. Self I was definitely a lot more self-aware. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I had to learn over the years, right? Um, and so when I was able to figure out that responding to situations was a lot healthier and produced the best results, that's when I started realizing that, you know, if I was able to overcome that, which typically I was, and, and move forward, um, the opportunities would still continue to arise. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, same thing I talk with, you know, a lot of times when I'm speaking or, or talking with clients is like, you know, go ahead and be in that moment and allow those emotions to take their place, but don't allow them to take over your space and don't react to whatever's going on. You know, look at it as a learning um, opportunity and because it's only gonna help you become a stronger person down the road. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I was having a conversation with a, uh, one of the top neuropsychologists actually this morning about you know, learning from different things in life. And you know, I, I was saying, you know, I was a type of, I was an athlete, I was a kid that would literally, when I was surrounding myself with you know, a, a lot of amazing people or even people that weren't being successful, I would look at them and, and say, what can I learn from this person? Or what can I learn from this situation? And try and literally grow my toolbox, if you will, mm -hmm. of experiences and things that I could learn. So later on down the road, when I faced that same situation or I faced a different situation, I've now built up my toolbox of things that I could actually pull out and say, okay, how do I now respond to this situation? Um, and one of the other things too, and, and I'm just as guilty of this in the past, is, is, not, is knowing that you're not in it alone. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the situation is, you are not sure. in it alone. My hardest part for me, and again, that's something I was guilty of, is, is thinking that I could always do it on my own and realizing that it's, <laughs> I learned the hard way that it's much easier to ask and get you know, somebody else involved um, because, you know, sound boards are great to have. Sure, um, absolutely. So those are just some of the things that really helped me overcome a lot of the downfalls that I had in life and realizing that they weren't downfalls in a negative way, they were downfalls of opportunities that were trying to grow from. Right, that's amazing. That's something that we can all learn from, from that example, absolutely. So I want to move forward here now to kind of the Olympic career uh, for the bobsled. And uh, you kind of told us right off the bat with track and field, you were good at it, right? And But was there a moment in the bobsled where you realized, I actually have a skill for this too? Or were you just naturally good at that because of your previous training? Or was there like on race five, all of a sudden it clicked in and I, I didn't fall out of the bobsled kind of thing. Is there a time? Um, you know, I don't know if there was one specific time where I realized, like, wow, I was really good at it. Um, because it wasn't so much about my athletic ability as it was about my dream to actually accomplish that big goal of becoming an Olympic athlete. And mm -hmm. later on realized like, wow, I, I'm actually good at this. But, you know, it, Again, it didn't really have anything to do with my athletic ability as much as it did with my true intention and my passion to be successful in that space and allowing myself to, um, you know, 
be successful at the same time. There's so many people that don't allow themselves to be successful. Right. They don't give themselves that permission to do so. Mm-hmm. And I just gave myself permission that, uh, and, and had the confidence that no matter what, I was going to go and do this, and, and I was going to do it my very best. And whatever happened, happened, and I'd be happy with those results. And so as I was with you know the first team, um, again, I was just having fun still. And that was key was making sure that I was having fun about that stuff, uh, with that stuff. And, um, you know, the first year I was with Team USA 5, and we were doing really well. We were having really good results uh, mm-hmm. at a lower level. And it wasn't until I got a phone call from USA 1 and 2, and they're like, hey, we've been watching you. Mm-hmm. Similar to the coaches watching you in junior high, right? Sure. Like, we've been watching you. You're actually really, really good. We want to invite you to come try out with our team. And that's when I was like, wow, maybe I'm actually better than the athletes that I really thought I was. And sure. so I had an opportunity to train with um, USA 1 and actually had better results than some of their other teammates. And that's when I was like, wow, this is a real possibility. And not only just to make the Olympic team, but to be part of one of the best teams in U.S. history. Yeah. Well, I'll tell. Let's. Um, I want to make sure we get to the to the Olympics. Uh, you know, given our time constraint for this interview, but you uh, eventually make yourself your way to Team One, and I'm sure you traveled and did a lot of things around the world to make that happen. Tell us about the experience of walking into the stadium in Salt Lake City. I assume you're part of the opening ceremonies in some way. Give us kind of an overview of that, wow, and then what it was, <laughs> and then what it was like on the mountain when you, when you made magic happen. Oh boy, I'm not going to apologize for this, but that's definitely one of the most amazing moments of my life, next to like my kids being born. That you know, as you. You know, one of the one of the key things when you're in that position is again giving yourself permission to really enjoy that moment and take it all in and let those emotions flow. And as I'm walking with my team and looking at my USA gear, and it's not that I haven't had USA gear before because I had the track and field, but this was like the team Olympic USA gear. And I remember, you know, we're walking um, towards the stadium at the University of Utah, and you can hear just the energy and, and the crowd going crazy. And every now and then they'd say, USA team's coming up. And that, that energy and that sound for the crowd would just enhance like 10 times. And I remember one time specifically, I kind of, I, I did kind of like a little bit of a self checkout as I'm, as I'm walking with my team because as you looked up and it was nighttime, you could see the Olympic Greens up on the, on the mountain behind the University of Utah where they had put them. And I just took time to reflect back on that little kid who walked the same streets as Salt Lake City, eating out of garbage cans and panhandling and watching my mom overdose and the gangs and the drugs and the chaos and realizing that, wow, I actually, I, I, I made it, you know, through all of the adversity and all the naysayers and all that stuff in life that I'd finally made it. And um, just really and it was just the most amazing moment. And then as, <laughs> as we get closer to the stadium and, you know, we start walking in with Team USA, you know, the announcer says, now the United States of America and the, this, the energy of that crowd, you know, I almost felt like everybody that was in that stadium and the 2.3 billion people that were watching <laughs> around the world knew of my story and I just I approached it that 
really appreciated that whole opportunity, the energy, the life, um, and, and just, you know, the appreciation of me actually taking those steps through life to actually get to that space and, and just being proud of myself for being able to do so. That's amazing. Tell, tell us about um, the last couple runs leading up to the Olympic medal, because there's a lot of story there. So, <clears throat> yeah, so, you know. Set the stage. Yeah, so, so for those that don't know, uh, we'll, get a, we'll change some excitement here. Um, for those that don't know, like we were uh, Team USA 1, so we were, you know, compared ranked back and forth with Germany, uh, either one or two. So we were favored to win the medal, you know, hands down, no matter what. And, um, you know, the first day you have two runs, the second day you have two runs. And for those that don't know, Bob said track here in Salt Lake is just about a mile in, in length, and you combine your time, and, um, you know, it's, uh, you're doing almost 90 miles per hour. So the time to win or lose is very, very minimal um, when you combine everything. You know, after the first day, we had two phenomenal runs, and we were in first place. And, again, you're like, oh, my gosh, this is <laughs> we're going to win a medal, right? And, mm -hmm. and the big thing is, like, a lot of people always ask me, like, how nervous were you about this? And I was like, I wasn't nervous at all because I knew that I had done everything I needed to do to be in that, that moment in time. And mm -hmm. so the actual competition of the Olympics was just doing the things that I had done to get to where I was. Um, and so, you know, we come, you know, we go home that day, work on the sled, have our meetings, you know, talk about what we need to do the next day, which is do exactly what we did the first day. And we come out that uh, first day and it was snowing. So, you know, back then you had specific runners or blades, as some people might think of them, specific to that one day. And we go down on our first run, and I'll be honest, I thought it was a great run. This is day two. So day two. Yeah. And we get through and we look up at the clock and we had actually fallen out of metal convention. Mm. And so you talk about like, whoa, amongst our whole group and the crowd and everyone else in the room, we were like, oh my God, what just happened? And so, um, you know, with that shot going on, we weren't sure what to do. Uh, thankfully, my driver, Todd Hayes, you know, pulled together the four of us and we said, you know what? You know, we, we are doing a good job. We've fallen out of metal contention, but we came here to win a medal and that's pretty much the only option. So let's get back up on our quote unquote, dust ourselves off, get it back up on the horse and go up there and do what we can to come back and win a medal. And that's the attitude we just took into the last run. Mm -hmm. Last one of the day, again, have nothing to lose. And, uh, you know, as you, <laughs> you've heard me say it to some, some clients and we've talked about it too, you have two options. You either um, do everything you can to maximize that day or that moment, or you do everything to, um, you know, maximize your failure at that moment. Sabotage so yourself, yeah. We, we chose to not self-sabotage yourself and just go up there and do whatever we could and figure out and see what happens in the end. You know, when the dust clears, what happens? And, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful that we had that attitude and that mindset to uh, do that. And uh, we go up there and come across the line and realize that uh, we moved back into metal contention. At that point in time, we didn't know which metal, but we guaranteed, guaranteed ourselves a medal. And, and uh, in the end game, basically uh, won the first Olympic medal for the U.S. in 46 years with the silver medal. Absolutely amazing. Took it right down to the last run, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, I think that's, it's an incredible story, you know, that, uh, and again, on the potential brink of failure, you made a conscious choice to pull together, you know, not just you this time, but to pull together as the team and come forward and do what you needed to do. And 
I think way more often than not, people will buckle into those situations and you guys showed a lot of resilience and, and pulled yourself up and did it. So yeah. I think that's amazing. Um, we're going to take a break here in just a minute again, but uh, before we go, you, you now spend, I want to, the last segment of the show, I want to spend time talking about how you're helping others these days. And so just one question, what do you think for yourself makes, when you're working with other people, how to get them to be more accepting to learning and teaching and growing? Do you have a system or words of wisdom that you give to these people on how they can access their own greatness, how they can access their own limitless spirit and step up and be able to do what you do? Or how does it work when you're working with somebody? Yeah, and, and as you know, I mean, I've had an opportunity to learn a lot uh, from Brett as well on, on you know, how I work with clients or when I'm doing speaking events. And a lot of it, I think, comes down to, again, simplifying things and just inviting people to be open to other ideas. And just even if it's for a moment, to allow themselves to have this conversation with you, um, mm -hmm. be open, be flexible, you know, just for a moment so that they can see that there is, you know, something else out there or there's a different way to do it. And one of the things that I've learned for me that's also helped me uh, from some of my mentors is that, you know, if what you're doing currently hasn't gotten you, gotten you to where you are, then it's not going to work. So <laughs> let's be a little bit open and flexible to see like what are some other possibilities to help you grow, succeed, or whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. And so just trying to get people out of that space of, you know, again, especially like, you know, an entrepreneur, a new entrepreneur, you know, mm -hmm. they're so passionate about what it is that they're doing. It's like, oh, you know, 100 miles per hour, you know, head down, and they don't see like the big picture. And so helping people get out of that space to see the big picture or the other possibilities right. is a key. Um, and just asking questions, you know, and, and helping them taking them back to that foundation of, you know, where did you start? Mm -hmm. you know, what was the foundation of all this that you're doing or what you're trying to accomplish? You know, where did that start? And trying to take them back to that space because, again, it can get diluted. They can get, you know, um, off track and not even know that they've gotten there. So right. just helping them see that and get back to that space has been very helpful. That's awesome. And we're going to come back and talk a, a little bit more about some of the skills that you're doing, the, the skills that you're using to help people and tap into their skills and their greatness uh, in the last segment of the show here. But we're going to take another quick break, pause for the cause, so to speak. And we'll be back with uh, Bill Schiffenauer and Bad Brad Neufeld. <laughs> pause for the cause. I love it. <laughs> that was awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Brad. <laughs> We've got... Um, Eric Johnson's supposed to show up and be on at eleven thirty. So I just okay. wanted to be kind of like listening, looking. I don't know if he's somebody that gets places way early or if he's going to be like right under the wire. I know he's coming from work, so. Well, I can go open the door and now. I, and I felt a, I felt something buzz, and I thought, well, maybe he's texting. Me. So, but it was. Yeah, do you know? Do you remember what time? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Anything this last segment? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, the thing about this, whenever you're in, I, I, this is important. This is important. Um, the on the station, the 
the, the show is after you have the two hour time block and I can take some of our time if you need to. I mean, so let's kind of think of what else I would like to hear from him. Um, do you think it's Denise that you're interviewing? I am. Yeah. Do you think she would yeah, listen for, for uh, well, Eric? The door is open. So let me, uh, sure, just give her a, a heads up. I just, uh, what I told Brad is that it doesn't matter on the time. Uh, I love, your story needs to be told. So whatever 
else you would like to add to what you'd like the world to hear? Is there anything you wanted to? You think we're hitting it well enough? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're. I, th I think we're we're hitting it pretty good. I really okay. did like that question. I think that shed some. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> easy for me to say. Um, I'm going to move your mic a little closer. Okay. Push this screen closer to the. That'll help because sometimes right that there. gives you the deception of. Uh, Is this know, better? Yeah, much better. Okay. Much better. Okay. I mean, we're we're good. Don't don't think we're not. But I, I was like, well, it's, you, know, you know, just to keep it steady. Okay, so we're ready to go. You just point whenever you're ready. And okay, I'll... three. All right, we're back with Bill Schiffenauer, creator of the Podium Method, three-time Olympian, world medalist, Olympic silver medalist, and of course our producer extraordinaire, Bad Brad Newfeld. And um, Bill, you've been enlightening us with some great things. And in this last segment, I just want to kind of want to talk about tools and tricks of the trade and things that you're doing to help people. And also kind of your opinion of what's going on uh, with people these days and their level of grit. You know, we talk a lot about grit in our Limitless events and with Mark and Sal. And so tell me what's your opinion of confidence level um, resiliency of people these days as opposed to 20 years ago because you don't look like your age but I mean I look more my age than you do but you could talk about this from 20 years ago what do you what do you think is the difference do you see a difference yeah. between kids these days kids like when we were growing up the level of resiliency and confidence yeah I, I would say a combination of all those things that level um, levels have definitely dropped off and it's not to look at it uh, or put any negativity on that. It's just as, you know, when we were kids, we, we had to, we had different struggles, mm -hmm. um, different real life struggles that we had to overcome. And, you know, I think as, as society, you know, and, and, you know, <laughs> more people making more money and increasing, uh, we, as parents, we all got to that point where I, just want, I don't want my kids to have to deal with that. I don't want them to have to like face that stuff. And, you know, although back then it was a good idea, I think it's created some issues now that kids, you know, they go through life and, you know, junior high and high school where they don't have to face those things in life. And so they don't have that experience. So when they get to a real life situation that they've had to overcome, they don't have that skill set to really deal with that, whether it's resilience, grit, um, what you do. And so, you know, that eventually, you know, not only falls into the personal life, but it falls into the workspace. And, mm -hmm. you know, Absolutely. Organizations that really struggle with some basic things that, uh, again, start with uh, some of the things back then. So, so again, a lot of that stuff I feel um, has fallen off over 20 years. Um, you know, look at four of us in here. We've got grit and resilience. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sitting off camera right now right. is, uh, is uh, one of the most, if not the most decorated track athletes in u.s history yeah. we're going to be interviewing soon mr eric johnson so thanks for being here eric even though we can't see you <laughs> but you know it, it's true you know we we all grew up in a different era where you know there was times where again when i was growing up where i had to you know make a construction job and, and doing footings and foundations 16 hours a day and, and that just different things like that that we did as kids that kids these days don't have to deal with because again you know, I even thought about this when, as I was growing up. I was like, man, I don't want my son to have to deal with X, Y, Z. But then I realized, you know what? That's actually probably better serves if he gets to go through some of these experiences as yep. a human being in general to, you know, once they make it older and stuff. But, 
you know, it's not such a shock value and actually knows how to handle that and is prepared for it and has the tools to work with it. So. Yeah, I, I agree with you hundred percent, you know, seeing kids in our martial arts facility all the time. It is amazing to me how they give up on themselves. They've, and they've, and it, you have to be trained to do that. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and we as parents have to be careful, yeah. I think, because like you said, I, I've had some pretty tumultuous times in my upbringing as you well, as you know, as well, we've talked about that, but I look back now and I think I'm really, I'm glad I had that because it does, it, like you said, it does give you a, an edge over people who don't. Yeah. And we, we go on, we try and protect our children from, from things. Sometimes we protect them too much, yeah. I think. So, um, and I don't think everybody knows this. We didn't talk about this a lot, but like, you and, and Sal Rosano, who's also on the show, and Mark Peterson, we teach the, uh, our Operation Limitless events. And you have some incredible things that inspire people during the course of those events and the skills that you're teaching them. Um, and one of the things I'd like you to share with the audience, if you, if you can, is what is the root of your self-confidence and how do you think you're able to get that out of other people? Because is it is it the past experiences or is it a culmination of things? And how do you relay that to others? Because I think you do a great job when you're in front of the group, you, you inspire people, not just with the story, but by the way that you get them to achieve. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh, what's the root of my, my self-confidence comes from, again, a lot of things we talked about it a little bit earlier, just, you know, having that experience of adversity over life and, and turning those negative situations that most people would let, you know, collapse them or fold them up and utilize that as an experience for me to learn and grow and so as you know i've and uh, <laughs> as we've talked about i've had a very diverse unique life growing up and so i've had a lot of experiences in life that have an opportunity to learn from and so um the, the joy that i get out of life now is sharing those experiences with people and helping them like realize that the situation that they're in and the the answer to those situations or the resolution is not as complicated as it really seems to be. Mm -hmm. You know, typically we get <clears throat> overly emotional as human beings and we tend to make things more complicated in life than they really need to be, you know, whether it's from a personal standpoint or organizational standpoint. And the answer truly is a lot simpler than, than, it, than it seems to be. And I remember I was having a conversation with the guy and we were talking about um, some issues that he and his organization was having. And, I'm breaking it down for him, really simplifying like the solution to the, their overall problem. He's like, you're oversimplifying the problem. And I said, you're exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm doing. And he finally caught up to it. He's like, oh, wow. He's like, that does make sense. So, um, you know, just taking some of my past experiences, um, this gives me a lot of satisfaction and also helps build my self-confidence knowing that <laughs> in some cases when I'm talking to somebody about trying to do something, I'm like, is this really going to work? <laughs> Sure. Um, but again, you know, just really helping people kind of uh, step out of that space that they get themselves into and seeing that there's different opportunities and different possibilities of achieving success no matter what it's in. Absolutely. And you kind of answered this, but I'm going to ask it in a kind of a different way because part of this podcast and what we really want to do with our live events is boil down and refine and create the model for people to be able to replicate when you go to learn or master a skill and you've mastered a lot of individual skills and now you're helping people master their skills, what's the thing that, that has to happen for you first in order for you to be able to master the skill? 
Is there, can you boil it down to one thing that you go, this has to happen for me? Yeah. Um, and here's, here's me being a little vulnerable. I'm not the fastest learner on the planet. Um, and I'm okay with that. So I've, I've come to accept that I'm not the quickest learner. And so for me, a lot of times it's, it's more repetition, even, even like when you and I are talking about doing things and, and thinking about different methodologies and solutions to problems, it takes me a few times to mm -hmm. get a good understanding. And for me, it's that clarity. And then once I'm actually able to get that clarity on whatever it is I'm talking about, I then have an opportunity to try and apply that to situations in my life. And then once I can actually apply it to situations in my life, and I run it through my head a few times, then I'm like, okay, now I can feel like I, I have the confidence to share this with other people, whether it's clients or speaking and stuff like that. Um, I'm, I'm really big at trying things on myself before I try them on other people. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Thank goodness. We, we should all be more like that. <laughs> It's, uh, it's just, just having that clarity and, and feeling like I have the expertise and, and mastery to really get that message across to, to people. Absolutely. Um, what would your message be to someone who needs a boost of self-confidence, who's having a, a crisis of confidence, if you will? What's, what's your message? Um, you know, well, we can sit here and there, there's a plethora of messages <laughs> to come up with. But again, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to do it by yourself. It's, it's, there's, there's so many easier ways to go about this. Um, you know, whether you're going to have a coach or a mentor or just have a friend, you know, if it's, uh, if it is a coach or a mentor, just make sure they're the right one for you mm -hmm. and tell people. And, and just like I know you do, Brett, that, uh, I might not be the right solution for you and that's okay. Um, right. But you know, you don't have to go about it on your own and you're not the first person that's experiencing this situation. Absolutely. Know? And so uh, just being in, in this case, sometimes we have to be a little bit more vulnerable and, and that's okay too. Right. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And if anybody knows that, I'm definitely one of those people that have had to learn how to be vulnerable. Um, again, you know, along with Olympic success comes that a little bit of ego and stuff like that. And so I've had to break myself down several times and be vulnerable with situations. So. Sure. And that's, I think that's a really powerful lesson for people to get and for them to hear. It's part of the message of the, the tribe of Kings. When we're sitting here at Kings Hall recording this, you know, and, and being vulnerable and it's okay. So that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, do you have a favorite motivational quote? I, and I and I know the answer to this, but what is it? <laughs> I, I, have, I, have a, I have a few. Um, you know, I, I mentioned one earlier with uh, dream, girl, and dreams until we take the actions to ignite them. Who and, said that, by the way? Uh, some silly guy sitting across. From me. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure you get credit for that yeah. quote. When I put it in Google, I want to make sure that yeah, your name and picture a, comes up. That's a Bill Shipp kind of thing. One of those things like who's idea was this? Um, you know, and it's that that quote just resonates a lot with me, and I hopefully. Hopefully it has a lot of resonation with other people. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I came up with that a little while ago and, and you know this too, but so many conversations that we get to have with individuals and organizations is that so many people have these ideas, these thoughts, these goals, these dreams, but they never take those actions to ignite them. And yep. you and I, you had an opportunity to be with me at the, that Leadership to Legacy talk. And, yep. you know, Absolutely. I did some research and, uh, you know, found out that 98% of, of people on the face of this planet, um, you know, fail with their dreams and goals because they don't ever take any actions to ignite them. Mm -hmm. And if we could, you know, just change that 98% to 97%, then we'd have an opportunity to change 750,000 people's lives worldwide mm -hmm. and just give people that hope, that belief, 
you know, what operational maintenance is all about as well. Just giving that people not only the confidence, but again, giving themselves permission just to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, I, I had a conversation with somebody not too long ago, and they're like, oh, I've got this really great idea, and it's, you know, they're like, it's the best idea in the world, and yada, 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 and I was like, well, what is it? Oh, I don't want to tell you it's stupid. <laughs> and, I was, yeah. and I was, you know, and it just it said a lot going back to like that whole thing that 98% of people don't ever achieve the goals they aim for because they just don't dare take the actions to, you know, ignite those trains or don't give themselves permission to do so. So, And I think that word permission is big. And uh, I use it a lot, especially when I'm teaching women self-defense classes. <laughs> well, I, I think it's interesting because you've used it a lot today, yeah. right? I use it a lot. When I was interviewing Sal, that was one of his, Sal Rosano, one of our previous guests, is about permission. If you think back to the story that Mark told, especially uh, at the Limitless event about we all pack our fears, right? That was a really powerful presentation. He, he talked about permission. And the more people that have overcome huge adversity, that word permission just keeps coming back up and up and up. And so uh, I think that's great that you're sharing that. I think that's awesome. You know, as we wrap up here, Bill, uh, I want people to know how they can get a hold of you, tap into your genius and your special skills, skills and gifts and your gills too, because I know you can breathe underwater too, because it's just something you do. <laughs> so tell people how they can find you, how they can communicate with you, reach out to you and um, become part of your world. Yeah, no, and I'd love uh, you know, people to reach out to me and you know, just ask a question, that'd be great. But uh, you can reach me on uh, my website, olympiansports.com. Uh, social media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Operation Limitless Project, uh, dot com. Um, probably the best ways to get a hold of me. Or, you know what? I'm, I'm happy to, you know, if you reach me on my phone number, um, <laughs> it might be easier to send me a text. I respond to the text much quicker, but uh, you can reach me at 385-237-7037. Say that again. 385 385- Two three seven seven zero three seven. But uh, love to uh, you know connect with people out there, and if there's anything I can do to help them out, uh, great. If not, I'll definitely find some ways to help them. Well, and and that's awesome. And thank you. I want to leave on this one thing. How can people see the documentary about your life? Because uh, one thing we didn't touch on today is Bill's one of only eight people in history that the International Olympic Committee did a documentary about his life. They did a five-minute, there's a short version, and there's a 30-minute-ish long version. And people can actually reach out to you through that as well, because I know you've been responding to a lot of people on YouTube these days. Tell people how to find that video, because I think if they see that, they'll be just absolutely blown away. Yeah, and I'd I'd be honored for people to go and check it out. The easiest way to find that video is if you go to YouTube, uh, type in my name, Bill Schippenhauer, and type in along with that against all odds. Spell your name because it's not, it doesn't exactly, it's not exactly <laughs> sounds the way it's spelled here. Yeah, so Schippenhauer is spelled S as in Sam, C H U F F, like Frank Frank, E N H A U E R. And so, a, your name and against all odds yeah, on Bill YouTube. Schippenhauer against all odds on YouTube is the best way to find that. Or they can go to the Olympic channel and type it in, but. I found it to be easier to connect to it on YouTube. On YouTube. All right. Well, Bill, thank you very much for being here today. It's a pleasure as always, even just to spend a few minutes with you, but to be here for an hour and and try and share your story with the world is incredible. So that's it for today on Operation Limitless. I'm Brett Lechtenberg, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Awesome. Sweet. Okay, I'm going to reset this here too.
I think we're I think that was perfect. I think we're at the fifty five minute mark. So but we didn't need to. I was like, let's just